thank you. And uh, let me take a seat. We're gonna we're gonna hear some of the word right now. Amen, guys. Uh, the Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Right, that there is freedom in the presence of God. And I just want to point that out, like that song where we're desiring to have God's Holy Spirit who is currently on the earth, at work on the earth. That's the current member of the Trinity that's here on the earth, right? Working in all people, drawing people to Jesus. That, that the Holy Spirit wants to dwell inside of us. And if, if you've been forgiven, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's something that he's already begun, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that as we pursue God, that there are things maybe that in your life, uh, struggles that you have, addictions that you have, uh, guilt that you have, unforgiveness that you still carry, that as we pursue the presence of God, that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that some of those things can just, just like fall away, that they'll just fall away as we pursue God, that it's in pursuing him that we find the freedom that we need. Right? There might be something that you've been bound to for decades that God can set you free from in a moment. Right? That sometimes that's just the way that he works, that in our pursuit of him, he will just set us free from addictions. Other times it's a long, long process. Right? I've, I've been there. Right? I'm still there. Right? Other, other times it's a long process, but God is faithful to complete the work that he has begun in you. Right, that the, the investment that he's placed in you, the, the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit in your life is evidence that he is going to sanctify you, that he is going to be at work in you for his glory, that he is going to be working in you to make you more and more like Jesus, right? that, that he'll finish that work. It's not something that we have to be like, oh man, like how am I going to make this happen? No, no, no. He is invested in you and he will bring that work to completion. So it's not something like, oh, I don't even think God wants to see me, see me anymore. Like, I keep struggling with the same thing over and over. I think God's given up on me, right? I'm not worthy of his forgiveness or his love anymore. I mean, I might have thought that at one point, but let me tell you this. You were not worthy of it then either. Neither was I, all right? That God loved us just as much then at the beginning when we began this walk of faith and like, Jesus, I need your forgiveness as he loves you today. That God loves you just as much now. All right, and that, and that it's not going to be through some amount of our own effort, our own works that will make it happen, right? Paul wrote to the Galatians, he says, oh, like he, he called them foolish. He says, foolish Galatians, right? Do you really think that you're going to finish the work that began in the spirit by doing works of the flesh, right? Do you really think that like, oh man, maybe if I just work harder at this, maybe if I just love Jesus more, maybe if I, right, try to do these things, if I follow this formula a little bit better that God's going to show up in my life. And it's like, no, 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 no. God's grace and freedom is just as necessary, right, today in your life as it was day one when you trusted Jesus as your savior, right? It's, it's just as necessary, right? God loves us just as much, and just because we might be more aware of how sinful we are, and right now that we've lived more years and we're like, man, I'm, a, I'm terrible at this, right? God already knew that was the case <laughs> when, when he died for you and he rose from the dead for you. Jesus already knew that and he thought you were worth it. So that's not even related to the sermon, but I just had to say it, right? Pursue God. God will set you free from the things that you are struggling with. So, uh, so last week we talked about that was just bonus. That was just like goodies. That was like appetizer right there. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jesus uh, loves his church. Actually, I just realized that title screen's up there. 
It's because I didn't change it. I was worried that I still had the old sermon up there, but I think we're good. I just didn't change the screen. It's a different, different sermon topic today. Uh, today's sermon, it's on your bulletin, is uh, that loving Jesus means serving. Uh, so this is going to be probably a challenge to all of us in some way. But uh, if you're interested in a Bible uh, today, if you want to follow along, I forgot to put, yeah, this, I guess I'm falling apart here, but God still loves me. I didn't even put the page numbers on the screen, but you can open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And we talked about last week the idea that, uh, yeah, if you want a Bible, raise your hand and, and Jojo will get you one. Uh, we talked about last week that Jesus is in love with his church. Church does not mean the building right? Jesus just doesn't have an appreciation for old architecture, right? He's not just like into, you know, Gothic style and flying buttresses or whatever they are, right? Jesus is into the church, the people, the people of God. Uh, All those who have ever trusted in God and have been welcomed into God's family by grace through faith, right? That Jesus loves his church. And in Ephesians 4, we're going to see, right, okay, so God loves us as individuals. God loves us collectively, one of the ways that Jesus loves us is that he, give, he gives gifts to us, and it starts this process in our hearts uh, where we are just in awe of God's love, we're, we're overwhelmed by God's love, that, that uh, 1 John, I think, 4 says that we love him because he first loved us, that, that as we are just completely in awe of who he is and how much he loves us, that we begin to reciprocate that love. Right? We, we begin to return that love of just like, I can't help but fall in love with God who loves me so much, right? who's done so much. He's just right, the most lovable being that exists is God. But, but here we go. So, so let's, let's read this passage. This is Ephesians 4, verse 11. And Jesus gives good gifts to his church. This is some of the things that Jesus gave. Maybe you didn't realize these were good things. Maybe you didn't realize these were gifts. It says, uh, verse 11, uh, and he, that is Jesus, if you don't believe me, uh, you can just read a few verses earlier, it's, it's Jesus. He, Jesus, gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Remember, we talked about the body of Christ last week is the church right? That to be a member of the body of Christ is to literally be like one of the functioning, right? Body parts of Jesus on the earth right now, that he's working through his people. You're united with one another. You're united with God. Uh, Jesus is the the head of the church is some of the language that we saw last week. And in that Jesus gave these gifts. And in this case, it's, it's right. People who are in places of authority or or giftings to, to equip the church. But the purpose of that gift was to equip the saints, and I don't know if you realize that, but that, that's you and me. You, you might not think, ah, oh no, I'm no saint. Like, I don't think that word describes me, but you are a saint. You are a sanctified, chosen one of God the moment you've trusted in Jesus. So, so that's a name that God thinks of you with that name, okay? So that, that's a title he's given you. Uh, so the purpose of these gifts was to equip the saints, right? That we would be able to accomplish what God calls us to do. It says, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, that Jesus gave these gifts so that we would all be able to grow both as individuals, but also as, as a collective body, all right? Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so the, the metric that we're aiming for is Jesus. It's not some 
simpler thing that we think all of us can reach. It's, it's we're aiming for, for Jesus. That's the metric of growth that we're aiming for, right? That's, that's what we're intending on doing. And, and until we all reach the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, uh, I don't think that's happened yet. So until then, these gifts are still for us today, right? These are for us to benefit with. Verse 14, this is kind of a, an antithesis of that. This is a negative reason as to why Jesus wanted to give these gifts because when we are lacking, this is what we experience. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about uh, by every wind of doctrine, right? That we're just like fickle and changing what we believe. We don't know what we believe. It's like, I don't know. I saw like the stars today, so God must love me today. But oh no, it's cloudy. I don't know. Like all sorts of weird doctrinal beliefs, right? God doesn't want that. He wants us to have a certainty of our faith that we rest upon the solid word of God, right? That our lives are built upon something that is going to be reliable and that we can be sure of, right? God doesn't want us to just be kind of like all believe in all sorts of flaky stuff, right? That we would not be carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And now check this out. So this is not just that God gave gifts through spiritual leadership, but verse 16, from whom, so this is from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I want to point this out. Jesus gave gifts to his church because he cares for his church. He right, died for his church, we read last week. He, he invests in his church. He nourishes and cherishes his church. He gave gifts to his church so that the people would be well cared for, right? That the people of the church would be tended to because that's what Jesus intended to happen. But it's not only the spiritual leaders that were given as gifts, all right? And I, I know you're probably going to walk away and just be like, Brian is so full of himself, he thinks he's just God's gift to the church. But it, it does say that there. But that's not what, right, I'm not full of pride, right? It's not the case. But I want to point out that, that each of us are important in the body of Christ. Check out that last verse. I think it's still up on the screen. Verse 16, right? That every joint held together, right, is, is equipped. We're equipped with every other person in the body. When each part is working properly, when every single one of us is doing what God's called us to do, when every one of us is able to serve God with our whole heart, right, with, with good and healthy character, right, that, that we're able to invest in the areas and do the things that God's called us to do with genuine love, that it builds up the body, right, that the body grows, right, that the way that, that Jesus accomplishes what he wants on the earth, is it's through his church, and the way the church grows is by every one of us doing what God's called us to do, right? And, and I don't know if you realize this, but just as God gave gifts to the church, right, that God gave you to the church. God, God gave the church to you, that, that we have this mutual love and respect for each other. We have this, right, mutual submission it talks about, I believe, in Ephesians 5, towards one another, where we, we honor one, one another. We put each other first. We care for one another. And, and that maybe you don't realize this, but God intends on you being a gift to the church, to other believers, to care for other people, right? And you might be like, I don't know about that. Like, I'm, uh, but, but God wants you to be a blessing to other people, 
He intends on, on you reaching out and caring outwardly, not just kind of just like, well, Jesus, can I just have like this, you know, I love you, Jesus, and it's just me and you sort of thing. But no, no, no. He, he wants that love to, to overflow out towards others. That's what he calls us to do. So you are a gift to your church. You're a gift to your community. And, and when every one of us are doing what God's called us to do, that's when the entire body grows, right? And that's going to both be in maturity and in encouragement, but also in, in numbers, right? Which, like I said earlier, it's not like we're trying to grow a church. We're trying to grow God's kingdom. We want people to meet Jesus. We don't care if they meet us one way or another. We want them to know Jesus, and that in order for our community to be reached, in order for us to be faithful in this generation to do what God's called us to do, it requires each of us to do what God's called us to do as individuals, is the idea. So, so Jesus cares for his church this way, right? His desire is that it's well cared for, it's tended to. And I, I'm going to show you some examples today of, of both positive examples of what caring for the church looks like and, and negative examples where we'll at least see what God wanted it to look like and maybe learn what not to do. Uh, and, and so I want us to look at uh, Ezekiel 34. I have no idea what page it is on our Bibles. I'm sorry. Ezekiel 34. It's probably towards the middle of the Bible. But uh, there's also a table of contents in the beginning of that book, by the way, if you ever, you know, there's no shame. It's not like we're going like, to, they don't even know where Ezekiel, right? It's not the kind of church we are, right? We love you. We're glad you're here. Ezekiel 34, you can just follow up on the screen if you'd like. And, and this is God prophesying through Ezekiel towards the spiritual leaders of his day, where God was mad at some of the, the church leaders. There wasn't a church. It was the temple at the time, right? God was mad at the spiritual leaders of, of his day. Right where they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't caring for the church. And, and you've probably experienced a similar feeling as God has in this text. Where like maybe you've seen these you know, religious leaders that are like, man, like that's just awful what they've done or this moral failure they've had. Or, or right, you see this brokenness in the humanity that's present within the church. And right, maybe you've had the same frustration of, of the things that, right, how they say something or like how dare they... Right? You might have that frustration. And I just want to point out, God gets frustrated about that too. Let's see what he says. Verse 2, Ezekiel, bam, thank you. He says this, son of, my, uh, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So he's not picking on like the shepherd union. You know, he's, he's talking about the spiritual leaders, shepherds, okay? Not actual sheep tenders. Although there were those people in Israel too. Uh, he says, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. So message from God. Here's uh, your, your end of year evaluation, kind of how things have been going. Uh, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves should not shepherds feed the sheep. So he's critical of leaders who are self-serving rather than outward in their care towards the people of God. So when you hear sheep, just think God's people. All right. Verse 3. So here's some of his, his criticisms. You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Right? So this is God's criticism that this is how not to care for God's people. Verse four. This, is, this one's like, this one's rough. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. We can pause right there on that verse. And so like when I read this as far as like 
my kind of idea of this is what God expects me as a, a spiritual leader to be doing, apart from the grace of God, I, I'm just like, I think I'm doing a terrible job. <laughs> I'm like, God, help me in this. I, I don't think I've done this well, right? Because teaching and, and leading is not just simply about, can I come up and speak on a Sunday, right? It, it has to do with caring for the people of God, right? Caring for the flock, right? That, that just kind of looking at this list as far as, right, do, do we seek to, to heal the sick, right? Do we bind up those who are wounded, who are going through current struggles in their life, right? Do we pursue those who are stray? And, and I realized, like, that's something like, you're, you're like, wait a minute. So Brian, like, God is expecting Brian to hunt me down if I stop showing up at church. It's like, that's weird, isn't it? Like, that's weird for me. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know the best language to say. Like, I don't know how to, like, when I see you in the grocery store, be like, ah, hmm, uh, you know, like, because people are like, oh, I know, I haven't been at church in a while. It's like, I don't know. Like, I care about you more than just your attendance here on a Sunday, understand. But, but I want to point out, like, maybe you, we don't realize all the time that there's this level of kind of accountability once we become followers of Jesus that we're part of, of a group, right, to care for one another. And that, because there's a variety of different things that can cause us to go astray. We'll even read that later on in this chapter. But, but God wants shepherds, God wants leaders, God wants people who are leaders in the church to pursue those who stray, to care for them, right? It's not like to, to abuse them, right? To steal from them, to, right? But to, to care for them, it's for their benefit. That's the heart of God in this situation. And he says, right, that the lost you have not sought. Right? Like how effectively is we as a church been pursuing the lost, pursuing the people who do not yet know God's love for them, who don't yet know how much God wants to be with them, who don't yet know this wonderful plan that God has for their lives, right? Are, are we going after those people for their good, for their benefit, right? Like I said, it's not just about like we want to get more numbers here. We care about them. That's, that's the goal. That's the heart of God. And then, and then here's a criticism as well as how spiritual leaders are, should lead. It says, the, right, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. That, that church leaders shouldn't have this domineering attitude. It shouldn't be this command and control sort of thing, right, that we should have a, a heart like Jesus has towards his church. And check out verse 5. It says, so because of these failures in leadership— it says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts and my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So the broken heart of God here, he wants to see his people cared for, right? He doesn't want to see his people just, just scattered abroad, right? To be devoured by the world, right? That God wants to see his people cared for effectively. That's his desire, all right? That, that, that's what he, he wants, and he was critical of these shepherds at this time for not caring for the people of God, right? So, so this is like, I read this, and I'm like, okay, all right, Jesus, help me do this. I want to do this well. I want to be someone who honors you in the way that I live my life and in the way me and other leaders in the church are able to, to care for your flock, right? I want to actually be a gift and not just someone that's, you know, I'm going to just like clothe myself, feed myself, and neglect what God's asked us to do. 
But what's interesting is, as, as you, you could go read this rest, the rest of this whole chapter, but uh, we're going to skip on down to verse 17, is that God doesn't only uh, criticize, I guess, or judge even, yet he uses the word judge, uh, the, the spiritual leaders. He also has a word to speak towards, towards the people of God. And this is some, some interesting stuff. And like, just to think about like, how do we as the people of God respond to those in our, our community? Check this out. Ezekiel 34, verse 17. He says, as for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture? Okay? And to drink clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet. Right? So, so God is critical for the way the people of God abuse one another. Right? The way they neglect one another. It's, it's interesting, right? I mean, this is like a hard kind of passage to read and think like, are we a blessing to one another? Are we walking in love towards each other? Are we holding a fence towards each other? Do we allow these rifts to form and we don't bother pursuing reconciliation, right? Are, are we caring for the other people in the family of God? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with side and shoulder, right? You thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, but and now there's this promise of hope. He says, I will rescue my flock. That even where there's failures, right, within the people of God, within the leaders of God, God is still faithful, right? He says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Right, that God is faithful regardless of how well the church is the church, regardless of how well spiritual leaders are leading. Right, that God is faithful nonetheless, even when sheep are scattered. But I want to I take a look at what right, God said the sheep shouldn't do. He said right, that they shouldn't push with side and shoulder. Right? I mean, like maybe you'll get different interpretations or ideas here, but I just think about are, are we welcoming towards new people? Do we care and have compassion towards one another? Right? Or is it like, you know, someone shows up and it's like, hey, that's, that's my seat. And just like, you know, bump them out. Like, like this, is, this is my place. Like, no, I don't, I don't like the way you're doing things. Like, th- we're going to do things my way. Right? Do, are, we, are we a type of church family that demands our own way? Right? Are, are we going to throw our weight around is kind of, I think my translation of that verse, right? Do you throw your weight around, your influence, right? Whatever authority you might have to get your way, right? Do you not care for or seek the benefit of others? That if if the church is going to to love one another, to see it built up the way that God wants it to, that's not a behavior that we can have, right? That God's got to change our hearts over time. And I'm, I'm not saying this like, just so you're aware, there hasn't been some like crazy issue or rift in the church recently. So I'm not like addressing that. This isn't like a state of the union speech. This is just like the Bible. Okay. So this is, you view this as like preventative measure, right? There's no one that I'm like calling out. Right. So, so don't worry. 
But yeah, the, sh- the sheep shouldn't, right, force their way. Is kind of what he's saying. Or he says, right, or that sheep shouldn't thrust at the weak with their horns. So I think about, right, if, if there's a new person that comes here, like, we shouldn't just, like, ignore them or try to push them away. Right, that, that if there's a new believer that we're encouraging them, investing in them, wanting to see them grow and not just, right, like, no, you don't even know what you're talking about. I'm better than you. Like, I've followed Jesus for this many years. You don't even know, right, that we shouldn't push them away. Or when someone goes through a season of weakness that we don't use it in a, as an opportunity to, to criticize them, right? We don't use it as an opportunity to, to make them feel judged and neglected and, and unwelcome, right? That we're not going to be that sort of culture, right? That we're not going to be that, that kind of people and that we don't destroy the pasture for one another, right? That when it comes to the word of God, we present the word of God to other people